0: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Uh, This week on our episode, we're going to talk about kind of a crazy experiment that we did in our service this last week. Uh, We actually opened up for sharing for the majority of the sermon time from our congregation. And we're going to ask the question, why don't we do this all the time? Is this how church is supposed to be? And are we going to be just opening sharing time constantly? So we're going to rest with that. We're also uh, excited to invite you to our live recording of the show in person that you can attend uh, later next month. So without any further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Thanks. For all intents and purposes, we weren't live. No, we should have been. (laughs) But because I'm incompetent, you guys got to watch the little jingle for another extra while we talk Ten seconds.
1: Absolute nonsense. So welcome yeah. to the. Red you didn't Couch. miss anything good. Yeah. Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. We're back together again. We're back together again.
0: Cheers. Cheers. Coffee, something yes. sparkling. Like- um. Yeah. So we want to just kick this off because we're so bad at the marketing side of being a podcast team. And so we're going to try and do that for you. So we apologize if that offends you and you'd rather have our nonsense up front.
1: So we're looking for a (laughs) hundred (laughs) donors. Can you imagine? Our budget for this
0: podcast is literally zero. I've like hacked together all of our equipment from (laughs) things that are retired in other.
1: We don't have a producer. It's you. We don't have content it's us um (laughs) we
0: don't have content i love that (laughs) see we're rambling anyway we're supposed to do business all right people there's important things that we need to tell you and that's that we're doing a live in person live uh recording of this podcast and one of you's super excited about that
1: (laughs) one person is super so far that's all i've heard heard from okay
0: um and that was enough for us (laughs) it might just be us in this one person yeah, uh, our our greatest fan I, I, out there.
1: I think I can't do you know remember. who
0: can you know who it is. No, Carol Hart, you're our greatest Carol fan. Carol Hart is
1: the number one fan. She's I the only it.
0: person that responded to us and said that we should do this live in person. <laughs> well, She can't even make it. It's just going to be you and I in an empty room. <laughs> oh, it's so. I think I,
1: maybe I said this to you outside of the podcast, but it, there's this episode of the TV show Frasier where he gets really excited. He's lost his job, and he's he's hoping that, like, he's been told his fan club have got together to protest. his like, firing, and he's really excited, like, really heart-warmed and all these different
0: things. And then
1: they do the protest, and there's only three of them. That so, like, the news article is, what would happen if he threw a party and nobody came? It's
0: like... That might be this thing. Um, so, um, but this podcast can handle that kind. Yeah, of Yeah, actually, thing. if no one shows up, we're like, yeah, we expected this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we're shocked that you know, we we're shocked that you listened to our we're, show.
1: We're more concerned that people might turn up and we wouldn't know how to deal with that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we would we would actually have to like re- react to that. So, um, we're going to be doing a live in person, uh, heavily emphasizing Q and A. Mm. So we probably will cover a little bit of your Sermon on the Mount uh, kickoff, um, but uh, we'll we'll also give a decent chunk of the time to live Q&A from the audience. Uh, it's going to be in 6510 at South Fellowship down Strip Mall area. The coffee shop will be open, so you, you can come and get caffeinated and ask us questions about the Bible, um, preferably not about pickleball. Yeah. And then... Uh, we'll do that. So it's, let's see, I'm going to pull up the details and get it. See if I can get it right here.
1: You don't know the details.
0: It's September 11th at make where I had it pulled up. All right. It, I think it starts at six. <laughs> can, where was it? There I it is. I think it starts. There at it six. is. Six 30 to eight. I love it. September 11th. 6.30 to 8. What, What? if no one shows up,
1: where are we getting our questions from?
0: Then we'll just we ramble like just we always ask do. Ask each other questions. We'll just ramble like we normally do. There ain't I nothing wrong it. with that.
1: that. That actually would be easier, because then we just get to answer ask the questions we wanted to answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: I'll ask re- you all kinds of... I actually... I'm going to pull out the hardest theological I questions it. I can... Uh, I'll try and m- force Alex to solve the problem of evil.
1: I love it. Could I, could I throw out something like, could I just say like, there's a rumor that Tim Mackey might be there? Just like, that would be me starting the rumor as well.
0: Yeah, you, I guess you could. <laughs> I don't know why you would do that, but just
1: more people would come.
0: More people would come. <laughs> no, he's m- not. Do we need to, we don't even know. Him. We should probably get someone important. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: Anyway. Just us will be there. There will be no special guests right now. If we come up with a special guest. Yeah, if we, like, you know.
0: if we find someone that actually yeah. talks in a straight line. I don't even we'll think, like, if along. we
1: wanted people to turn up, I don't even think Tim Mackey would be the name you would, like, pretend was coming. Yeah, half the is. people
0: wouldn't know Yeah, yeah, Tim yeah, but, but you'd
1: throw out, like, I don't know, uh, Russell Wilson or whoever. He's in town. Peyton Manning. But yeah, no, but it's just
0: us. It would be a fascinating theological conversation with Russell Wilson because he... Yeah. He... Uh, professes faith in jesus yeah um but he's also kind of an interesting character um Mm. one of the wealthiest football players in the the world so i don't know like i my his theology might be a little bit quirky (laughs) yeah (laughs) practically speaking Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah anyway
1: yeah as jesus said and i'm quoting him like as a paraphrase it's hard to have faith and
0: be rich yeah exactly yeah must be tough So, uh, we should talk about last week's sermon. Which I have not heard and was not here for. Y'all did Uh, so good, South Fellowship Church.
1: that's what I heard. So, I
0: told, uh, yeah, so if you weren't in in service last week, uh, then you wouldn't know that the congregation actually brought the sermon on Sunday.
1: Which was an idea we came up with, like, what was it, like, before the start of this series. Yep. And I had to accept the fact that I wasn't going to be there, which was actually kind of, like, a little heartbreaking yeah because uh, you know, had to be then
0: uh, yeah but totally
1: but it did work great from what i heard
0: yeah it was it was a ton of fun so what we did is all throughout the ordinary time series which if you've been following our episodes we've been in that series uh the last six, se- six well seven weeks now but um and we went through the lectionary uh, did various different messages. But what we challenged people to do in our congregation who were in person is to write down what the spirit was speaking to them from the specifically from the messages. And then last week we just opened up the floor for people to share what God's been speaking to them. And, mm. um, it was really cool. There was, um, some stories of, uh, of moments of confession where people shared things that they were challenged to. Uh, there's some public confession. There was, there were some moments where God challenged some people to be obedient to something and, and they stepped out in faith and saw God move in some wow. ways. In, in first service, there was actually a couple who literally during the sharing time received a text message, had to decide in faith, whether they were going to obey a nudge from the spirit and took action and then shared it during the That's service. That's amazing. So they're yeah. inviting a couple uh, who's struggling finding it um, to find housing to to live with them for a few months while they get themselves established. But they got the text during the service, and I asked the question, has anyone, like, felt the nudge to just reach out and care for someone? And and I could see their body language out of the corner of my eye. (laughs) (laughs) And then they raised their hand, and they stood up as a couple and just shared that they felt uh, like they were called to be obedient in that moment. And then after the service— Someone came up and they said, I have all, all this extra leftover food and I'm going to save it for that couple that's taking in the other oh, family. I love it. So it was just uh, little things like that were shared and I heard really good feedback. That's so, some
1: beautiful stuff.
0: Yeah, it was good stuff. But yeah. today I thought it might be beneficial to go through a little passage in the New Testament about this kind of open sharing. Everybody bring in a little word thing
1: which actually interestingly like is a rarity for us to do for the early church probably a pretty normal pattern of behavior would that be fair
0: Uh, yeah i would guess so there was fewer educated people so to have a formal educated Mm -hmm. pastor or teacher or something in every little house church in the early church was probably a little bit more rare yeah yeah And you may have someone like that in your city that would come visit or in the area. And you'd you'd get all your little house churches together and go hear some teachings or or the apostle would come through or whatever.
1: Paul would just roll through town and just
0: bring it. All the little house churches would descend and hear some preaching. But on the day to day and the week in and week out, there was probably a little bit more like what we're going to read.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's this shift for those of you that, that maybe aren't tracking with that. And let me see if I can describe the shift well. The church starts in Jerusalem. It's one group of people primarily to start with. They meet in totally the temple courts. It seems that the apostles do a lot of the teaching, especially Peter, John, and James. Like it's quite
0: centralized, quite
1: centralized around like these speakers that that maybe. who knows how good they are in terms of communication, but had been around Jesus for a long time, we're now sharing repeatedly. And and there's even this moment where they say, well, it's not good for us to wait on tables. We should be focusing on prayer and the teaching of the word. Um, Yeah. And then the movement starts to spread to all of these tiny little places. Yeah. Um, So then people are meeting in homes, and that's what you're talking about then. There's this moment where there's not... A centralized thing to the same degree
0: well, I think there was even in that the very early days, there was probably some hybrid yeah might because, be like they said, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the breaking of bread, but we're talking five thousand nine thousand people potentially in that early push,
1: yeah, and but so then mean, yeah. the breaking
0: of bread, they're probably like hearing some apostles teaching, and then they're going back with some smaller groups and maybe having some discussion around what they just learned and yeah, I always eating dinner how bizarre
1: is this like still in my head like just because of church culture a potluck I, yeah like like casseroles I totally, I, yeah i totally picture like the circular like round a falafel plastic casserole getting rolled out and like just like, like the, the plastic tablecloths <laughs> <laughs> kind
0: of like, huh? Interesting. I have to work really hard to. I'm not going to go sure out on a like limb that. and the, say that you're in, injecting your worldview <laughs> into the text.
1: You <laughs> have to work hard to not think of them like rolling the tables out. Um, yeah
0: I mean the the courtyard wouldn't have been conducive to a a, a, a five thousand person public meal.
1: No, no. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean,
0: I guess if you're eating the sacrifice, which a lot of the sacrifices were communal. But you do, like, yes, we... The the priest would have been so angry about that. They'd be like, we don't even believe what you guys are teaching.
1: We're going to take the (laughs) sacrifice. We're going to do our own thing over here centered around Jesus. Like, that would have Give us
0: our portion and we're going to go hang out here and get a separate teaching. Uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, man, that 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 must have created such tension.
1: But but that, like, if you've never lived or been a part of living, uh, like, a a short-term trip to a developing country. I remember when I was in, um, when I, when I was in Haiti, uh, the, the lady that did the cooking for us there, she cooked for 200 people, 300 people over an open fire in a courtyard. Like, and, and the moment where you realize she's been up since four o'clock in the morning doing that, um, is like this moment where you realise, oh, this is a different world to the world I live in. Um seriously. And and so yeah, you imagine like there is no person that's taken on hospitality for the church. It's it's people probably similar to the breaking of the the feeding of the five thousand. Like this, you know, there's all this food that appears miraculously uh, but has to get handed out.
0: Yeah, it was- yeah, it's not miraculous. It's Mary in the corner over an open fire, yeah, slaving away. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like,
0: mm.
1: so, so. There's just, yeah, a completely different world to the one that we can imagine. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it ends up being in homes, and so that's why you read in Paul's letters, oh, the church that meets in Phoebe's house, the church that meets in so and so's house. Perhaps a more affluent member of the community would open up their house. Um, yeah. Uh, and so on and so on and so on. Um, so then churches would meet in houses in all sorts of parts of the, you know, the Mediterranean area. Um, and this seems that the passage we're going to read seems like it's to a church or to a group of churches meeting like that. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems, seems more likely. Should we bust it out? Yeah. I'm going to let you do the reading because I'm a horrible reader and you aren't. I'll close my Greek here. I'm going to read the passage
1: you didn't want me to read. Then
0: go no for it. <laughs> um, I never said I didn't. <laughs> you shouldn't read okay. the Bible, Alex. So
1: this is this is Paul um, like writing, trying to figure out with the church is that he's writing to the church in Corinth, and when he says church in Corinth, he means all the house churches in Corinth.
0: Now, basically. now he's spent a chunk of time with them already. Yeah. He's done a ton of preaching to them, yeah. and a ton of teaching, and then. But he now he's far away, and he's sending him a letter and giving him some some instructions. Yeah,
1: and it's so funny because if you've not read the First Corinthians and Second Corinthians letter, the First Corinthians letter is positively positive. It's like it's you know, he's chatting through, yeah, talking let's, through these like let's problems. eat some food, and- let's problem solve together. This is going to be great. And then he gets to the Second Corinthians letter, and he's like boom is probably the most aggressive letter in the New Testament. Um, so this is First Corinthians yeah, it, fourteen. It comes on the back of 1 Corinthians 13, where he's talked about love is that and how it all works? things.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, carry on. <laughs> 13, 14 comes after 13? Yeah. Brilliant.
1: In my In my English number, whatever. Uh, tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues... And and inquirers or unbelievers come in, they will not say, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So you will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really amongst you. What then should we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The prophet, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people.
0: That is a lot of stuff There it, it is. So just since you didn't a little uh, context Alex tried to listen to the message, but in, he was in a, one of the glorious places in the world where he had no internet. No internet whatsoever. So he hasn't actually listened to how well you all handled uh, yourselves. But what I did is, I just gave—I used this text to just give them some ground rules. Yeah. One was, hey, let's not sound like insane people to inquirers who might have shown up. Like, if there are new people in the room. We could do this and it could just be really awkward, really yes. uncomfortable, a bunch of soapboxes around the room. And again, you know, this context is talking about tongues. But my challenge for our community was let's just not sound like lunatics. Mm. OK, rule that number one would be great. Rule number two was uh, around this idea of order. Um that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. So we're going to do this in an orderly fashion. Yep. Rule number three was, um, where is it in the verse? Uh, this, this is for the building up of the church. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about like, uh, there can be challenging things, but it's not like an opportunity to say your soapbox of your political worldview and, and, all these condemning words that don't sound like the heart of Jesus, those sorts of things. This is to build up the church. So these are the ground rules I laid out before we opened the floor. Uh Um, So that's what we covered. And then we did exactly ish this with one caveat. It wasn't just wide open subject. We sort of were honed in on what it, what has God been teaching us during this series? It wasn't just like fill in the blank. You can talk about any subject you like. A few people did talk about Subjects that were outside of the series, but for the most part, everyone was t- targeting in uh-huh. on what God had been speaking throughout the series.
1: Yeah, and so beautifully with the lectionary series, people got to hear from passages all over Scripture, all sorts of different subjects. That's some of the beauty of lectionary. Um, I bet there was a whole bunch of just different ways that God had spoken, which is is super exciting. Yeah, um, I think historically, if I remember my Gordon Fee correctly his suspicion that this this passage probably comes out of exactly the sort of thing that you were talking about, like the soapbox element of church that can take, like, he suggests that in Corinth there was one person that would get up uh, and give a message that said, God says this, and then the next person would be like, actually, no, God says this, and would then say the opposite of the thing that the person had just said, and... It, yep. Again, one confusing to anyone from the outside, but just not a healthy way to do community.
0: Together. Yeah, it wasn't b- building up. It wasn't centered around the apostles' teaching. Mm-hmm. It was actually centered around their opinions or yeah. their political worldviews or whatever. And that text, in a lot of ways, is saying, "All right, let's think through this in a lot more logical manner. Let's not sound like insane people. Uh-huh. Let's uh, let's do this in or- in order and in-, in properness so that it's actually beneficial yeah. to the community. Mm-hmm. So, um. So here's a question: Why yeah. don't we still do this?
1: That's a great question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because
0: I heard from a lot of you that you loved it on Sunday. Yeah, um, that it was really, really beneficial and sweet. I actually heard one 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 person came up to me and said, "I heard we were going to do this, and I did not want to come <laughs> because I hate this kind of thing. It's so it can get so awkward. Like, what's that person going to say, and are they going to ramble forever and on and on and on? And then they said. I am so glad I came. That was really, really, I think the word she used was precious. That was precious for our community. So,
1: so yeah, it, do, it does. I, anything new or unusual is going to have like some nostalgia. Is nostalgia the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to pluck a word out of the air. When you When you change things up, there'll be some element of freshness to it, right? Totally. so I'd, I'd be intrigued if we did this for like six
0: weeks in a like row like if you were to shave your head it would be very different
1: yeah i actually have a picture of me with what it would look like with a shaved head my stylist gave it to me really uh, yeah it looks awful uh i showed it to my kids they shuddered they were like don't do that
0: um <laughs> that's funny so so i yeah you should have seen the terror in alex's eyes when i just jokingly mentioned that anyway carry on
1: uh, so, so like, if we if we did six weeks in a row, I wonder whether people would have that same reaction. Like, it's almost like you know what? What does Dallas Willard say? Like, unfamiliar uh, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, um, yeah. and and the, other, the he's, they, that's his take on the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. So, so if we would just say, yeah, we're just going to get rid of the sermon, um, and just do this every week. There wouldn't, there may well be a season where people are like, I love this. Um, and then there might be a point where people are like, oh, I kind of also miss a concise idea or a you know, uh, an idea that flows throughout the whole uh, of the event. Well, and, I mean, and
0: I suspect if Paul shows up in Corinth. Uh, He's pretty much taken the time. Yeah. We know because uh, he preached for so long, a guy fell out the window because he fell asleep during the sermon. So we know Paul was a long-winded preacher. Yeah. I suspect he wasn't relinquishing the floor.
1: But I don't think Paul would love the idea that he was (laughs) doing that because he had better, maybe Paul would have, I don't know. I, I don't, when I put together the sermon, which takes up the largest chunk of the gatherings that we do. I don't think, oh, you know, I'm doing this because I'm the person that knows the most, or I'm the person that, um, like has the greatest wisdom, or the person that is closest to God, or something like that. Yeah, it's what the church has asked me to do. I try and do it faithfully. I I loved Eugene Peterson's description that actually, like, a good focal point for the church is to recognize this is a community of 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 rescued sinners. And one person just happens to be the person that stands up in amongst those sinners each week and points us all back towards Jesus. Um, like yeah. that's the, that's the function. Um, I think actually like what this paints beautifully is that when there's not someone doing that, all of you can do that together. Um,
0: yes, totally. Yeah,
1: and, and in actual fact, there's some some, so with it having gone so well, it would surprise me if we didn't do it again at some point.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it'd be. Uh, I think it was beneficial to do occasionally, and I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think sometimes overly patterned uh, liturgies can kind of lull you to sleep. Yeah, and that's why we like to mix things up here and there. Like we have some some common elements, but uh, for the most for the most part, we like to challenge people to write in a little notebook from time to time, or to. Uh, experience of practice or to do a little bit of a higher church thing. Like we're in the lectionary Mm. and we do a lower church thing and we're doing a a topical series. We do a book study series. Like part of it is so that we're constantly um, thinking slightly differently and engaging. I
1: think think one of the chat and for those of you that don't or have never worked in church, like this is one of the tensions. I think that, that we feel all the time as the two people that are most involved in planning services one, like it's not about preference. Um, so I get lots of people that come up to me regularly and say the worship is the, my favorite part of the service. The sermon is my favorite part of the service. Um, we definitely have people that say like, because uh, I don't like the style of worship we do. Perhaps I'm going to sit outside during the mm-hmm. um, the worship part and come in for the sermon. I definitely have some people that I notice that fall asleep during the sermon. Um,
0: You know who you are.
1: So, so, like, it's it's not a preference thing, is it? We're not saying, like, we're not trying to figure out, like, oh, what does everyone want to do? We're trying to be faithful to what we feel God has called us to do. Totally. And one of the constant wrestlings for ministers, for people that work in church for centuries, has been, is the church that the New Testament paints a picture of? Is it juvenile or is it exemplary? Like, are we supposed to copy them or were they just trying to figure it out as well?
0: And the big, your $10,000 words for the today are prescriptive and descriptive. Absolutely. So
1: So when Paul says this, is he like saying to us, yeah, guys, you should have more people sharing on Sunday. Like this is getting a little too locked down to one person sharing all the time. And the answer is, we don't know. Like, we're, we're we're trying to figure that out constantly. There's things that the early church does that we feel like, man, that that would be hard for us to do every week. Um,
0: yeah, and it's not be it's not that we wouldn't engage this be just because it was hard. Hmm. We do actually running a a planned service for a, a, about 400 adults every weekend is extremely hard. Yeah. but um. It's more a matter of like, yeah, is what's the best thing for a a community in a given culture in a given context? So, yeah, well, I think we do it again in some some way, shape or form. I think it was a beneficial thing to do occasionally. And I I think we learned a lot from it. Um,
1: But it's interesting. I love his little reference there to like if there's an inquirer there, because these, of course, were communities that knew like like well, you're new. Whereas in a community like South, like, you very rarely know, like, you know, I'm sure we have people that come for a while and think that, you know, that they'll see someone who's been on vacation for a month or whatever and, and be like, oh, are you new here? And in actual fact, that person's been around South for 20 years. Like, it's harder to know totally. who's really connected or who's not really connected, especially with, like, yeah, you know, the modern world, church attendance patterns, all those different things. Um So I think like they were distinctly aware this person's not one of us. He's an inquirer. I've been in churches that still follow some of that pattern. Like I I was at a church in in Detroit with a mission group and this new family came like at the back and given that we're, you know, we've, we've brought 60 white people to a primarily black church, like different experience anyway. And the pastor, like he's there and he's like, you guys at the back just stand up and talk about yourselves Why are you here. And I'm kind of looking around as a person that organizes services. I'm like, what is he doing?
0: <laughs> that's that's <laughs>
1: not what you do.
0: <laughs>
1: like, that's like, you let people like hide. You let people like come in and be clandestine and, and explore the church. You don't like shine a spotlight on them. Yeah. But that wasn't the way he saw it. He would have read stuff like this and said, no, you, you know who the inquirers are and you, like, you, you ask them, like, whoa, what are you doing here?
0: Like, Yeah, so, yeah, it's so fascinating how different churches handle different things. I actually had a conversation with someone today, back to your point of, like, preferences and that sort of thing. Someone said, yeah, no, I I think we should, the end time for a service should be very fluid. Like, if you got more to preach, then preach it. I love it. I love it. And I said, well, you know, we, we, we try to limit the length of our service not for people like you who come who are excited to convene with God, we like, we limit the length of our service because of the person, the skeptic in the room who like was drugged there by their wife and who's like, (laughs) fine, I'll come to church to shut you up. But I, I hate the idea of it. It's going to have horrible music. It's going to be way too long. They're going to talk a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo. It's not. And so then if we like, we want to like surprise that person with, okay, it made sense. The music was high quality. Those sorts of things. Like if, if we're going to offend that person, May it be the gospel that's offensive, not, not the fact that the length said of the it service would end at
1: twelve fifteen and
0: it actually ended it at like
1: one thirty.
0: And and so like a lot of the decisions churches make about how a service is run or how we operate as a community, uh we're trying to factor in variables like a ton of different variables yeah. for different people. Um like my my parents' church, the little church in northern Minnesota, when COVID hit, they had to learn something massively different, because one of their practices every week they do public prayer requests for the entire congregation during service, and they have like, hi, so and so, like my hips, I've got going to go into hip surgery this week and stuff, and that's pretty common for a small church, but then they started live streaming, and they're like, yeah, my, you know, I'm, I just want you to pray for my son. He he's an heroin addict, and uh, he just got. You know, incarcerated and stuff, and then they're like suddenly realizing, wait a second, we're broadcasting yeah. this to the entire world, and that son might actually see this yes. video. Now we have to change the liturgy of how we operate church because we're no longer forty, fifty people inside uh-huh. of a community who can just do public prayer requests. Yeah. We're streaming to a potentially infinite number of people.
1: Yeah, and and, and so many of your decisions around church are, are like. I made around what is beneficial, what builds up the church when it's this type of community. Like, so we operate differently, as you say, like 400 adults on a Sunday. We operate very differently than a church of 40. We also operate very differently from a church of 4,000.
0: Yeah, like imagine doing the sharing time if the church was like 4,000 people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it would be like... It would be, be a four-hour four hour
0: service. Even if it was epic, it would be a, a minimum four-hour service to even feel like you're covering like a fraction yeah. of the right percentage. And then, and
1: then like pretty frustrating for a bunch of people who were desperate to share something and then didn't get to share something. Yeah. And that's why like you know, the opportunity to share, we always talk about small groups, how valuable they are. Uh Like somewhat naive goal is 100% of the community would be in a small group of some kind. Um That is an opportunity to share every week. So so the the fascinating part is I think there's something about our psychology that says it felt more valuable for me to share what I wanted to share or felt called to share because I got to share it in front of a few hundred people. When in actual fact, in God's economy, it seems there's no more value in sharing it in front of those people than it is sharing it with your group of eight or 10 or 12 that meets in a living room it's just as valuable
0: yeah Um, so we're the ones that are number obsessed so one of the things i one of the highlights that i think came out of the service and and maybe some of you can could have commented on this too i heard from several people this that the big benefit is to hear other people struggling with Mm. or being challenged by similar things. Cause you start to feel alone. Like you start to feel like, yeah, my, you know, I'm going through this health crisis and I'm struggling to find hope in the midst of it. And to hear someone else say, yeah, I was losing hope. And then this text spoke to me. um, And I feel encouraged by that. It, It was like, it wasn't actually always the content that was shared. It was the um, solidarity that took place in the room, across the room, and that was, I think, a beautiful thing.
1: And that that, I think that can happen in good group life. I I do think there is this tension with church that we've we've talked about before. I'll regularly say from the platform, like, "Oh, I struggle with this," or like I'll talk about, like, I feel like you know the blackness of my heart or whatever. Just because I do the job I do. There is the temptation of a lot of people sitting in the service to be like, "You're such a liar." Like, you don't struggle with that. I don't believe you, like, because like, because you're on stage, because you're in a ministry role. Um, now, of course, the people that really know me, that spend a lot of time with me, would say, "Yeah, no, the guy's terrible." Like, he absolutely <laughs> struggles with that. The,
0: no, the no, worst I wouldn't. You've ever I, wouldn't met. Say,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say it like that at all. But, actually, but, but like that, <laughs> that like. It's um, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you can be as honest as you want from the stage yeah. as, a, as a pastor, but the suspicion is always like, "Yeah, I don't really buy that. I, yeah. I don't really buy the fact that you have doubt. I don't really buy the fact that you are scared of stuff." Like, because our build-up of spiritual leaders is
0: not—they
1: mm-hmm. they operate differently. So I think there is this joyfulness to, to sharing and having this time of saying, "Yeah, this is, this is me
0: too." So one thing that I felt like this last weekend was we just scratched the surface of um, and that I personally would like to grow in. Uh, and maybe you can comment on this as our as our lead pastor. Um, I still feel like a lot of the sharing. So there was a maybe maybe first service. Only 40 percent of the sharing this is me, obviously, making,
1: yeah, making up statistics. Yeah.
0: Uh, only 40% of the sharing in first service was uh, was things that people had written in their, in their little notebooks, specifically coming out of the sermons of like hearing the Spirit mm. of God. Several of them were just encouraging words, mm-hmm. um, semi-connected the message. But anyway, and then second service was a little bit more. It was probably yeah. more like 80%, 70%, 80% of, of second service was like, yeah, Uh, this passage or this sermon, and then I wrote this down. So what I'm getting at is I I still think, and this is true for me, and I'm on staff. I'm like Mm -hmm. trying, I'm prayerfully pursuing God's heart, picking the songs that I choose, dialoguing with you about the content of the sermon and building a service around it. there's still sometimes this ability to enter on a Sunday morning and not expect the living God's voice to penetrate Mm, the space like yeah alex is going to preach a message but i'm not necessarily like showing up like oh my goodness the god of the universe the creator of heaven and earth the one who died for my soul is going to speak to my soul today yeah and have that anticipation yeah um that's why we did this practice Mm -hmm. it was that we we want to be a community that shows up not expecting sermons not expecting songs but expecting God.
1: And I, th- I think this has been like this nudge we've had all year, really. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we did the listening to God's voice series earlier in the year. Like it's been a progression of different thoughts, like all the way through with, with this idea that, you know, we, when we talked about vision pathways last year, how we, how we live out living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, our beautiful, catchy, pithy saying that is on the wall, that is the centerpiece of who we are. Mm-hmm. How do we actually practically take things and say, well, what are the, how, how did Jesus live? Like, what are we, are we all reading the same thing? Have we all got the same ideas? And one of the things we talked about was actually just this, this ability or this moment of moving from an experience to actually encountering Jesus. Yeah, And that every time people encounter Jesus, there's a next step. There's always something that comes from that.
0: Yeah, you don't encounter Gene to Jesus and be like, that was pretty neat. Yeah. So what's the, for dinner?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... And those people, like, they didn't encounter him in the fullest sense of the word. They really missed him. Like, they might have met with him physically in the gospel, but they missed, missed the person that was there. Yeah. So, so to me, like, every week, I think in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, I feel like this is generally what God is saying to the whole community. I feel like if we were to round up eighty percent of people, this is the thing he might be talking to them about from this sermon, but then there's always this beautiful possibility that that God could say anything to you in a sermon, like you know that 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 anything could come from that. who knows like because he 's constantly richer and deeper and 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 he like if we're playing checkers he's playing four d chess <laughs> like, yeah. and then that doesn't even so, do it justice
0: so this last week while you were gone uh-huh. uh our the staff team went to an art museum, yeah, and it was an impressionist artist um did uh some real very minimal realism in his painting, but did more abstract stuff and I was just pondering how like some of his work early on like he'd have this he'd paint a person and all of the proportions are so wacky yeah. that I was curious of like, how do I know that that's even a person? The proportions are so grossly wrong. Like think about like even, yes, I mean, you've all seen paintings that are just so yeah. abstract, but you can still tell that they're trying, yeah, yeah, they're painting a person. Yeah. um, or, or like, uh, one of the ones that caught my attention the most is he had this street, uh, painting. And then there's this person walking down the street. Now the person is like four or five blob strokes of paint mm-hmm. and their entire head is like just a single yeah. brush stroke. And yet I could tell from the body language an emotion of like weighed down and mm-hmm. all this stuff. I'm like, That doesn't even look like an actual Mm -hmm. human being. Like if he's trying to be realistic and explicit, epic fail. But my art has this ability of communicating between the lines. Uh And so the same sort of thing happens with sermons. like Or even the scriptures. Like you're preaching a message and you think I'm saying this thing. I'm trying to be super duper clear about this thing. Mm -hmm. And yet in the creative nature of the scriptures in the creative human experience of how God designed what humans, they may like read between the lines. Totally. Yeah. That's or...
1: like the, the philosophical idea would be like the saying in the set.
0: Um, totally. like,
1: you know, somewhere in between that different things are heard. I can say the same thing to a few hundred people and you could get all these different sense. Oh no, he really said this. or no, he really said this. And some people would be like, I don't think he said anything at all. Like I, just, <laughs> like, I wish it have said something. Um, <laughs> So there's all these different ways that we're interacting uh, with, with the sermon. I suspect somewhere there's this lack of belief that God really wants to speak to us across mm. the church in general, partly because we don't think very much of ourselves. So, so a, an encouraging thought is it seems like the people Jesus was most interested in, in communicating with on earth were the people that were most on the fringes that were in the most broken state. So almost like you might say the worse you feel about yourself coming to church on Sunday, the more likely it is that the God of the universe wants to tap you on the shoulder. But again, when we think, and again, I'm generalizing, I suspect that when we think about God speaking to us quite often, we think about it in the same way that we think about our to-do list that we get over the weekend. Like, so we're at home, you know, we're like, we've got this list of stuff we want to get done. Mm -hmm. um, And we're very interested in ticking stuff off. So we almost, I think there's almost this impression that God is like that with his community. I've got them here on Sunday. Right. Right. I'm going to fix Aaron's thing here. I'm going to fix Alex's thing here. I'm going to fix Carol Hart's thing here. Carol gets a second shout out. I'm going to fix, (laughs) I'm going to tap into these things and that my success profile on Sunday is how many of those things got done. And that doesn't seem to be the God of the scriptures at all. Uh, like, Like he's so in with us for the long game. So in with us for this big journey. That in actual fact, on any given Sunday, the thing that you're most likely to hear from God is simply "You're beloved. I love you exactly as you are with no changes necessary. Like like that constant reminder is actually more what I think we need week in week out than I have a solution to this problem. Because the problem yeah. may not change based on Sunday morning. The problem with you the problem with your neighbor, the problem with your spouse, the problem with whoever. Like, it might not get fixed this Sunday morning. It might be there for a while. Actually, the thing that it feels to me that God is most often trying to communicate to the few hundred people that call South home is you're a very loved person.
0: Yeah, and Um, like, if you listen to last week's episode, yeah, then like Kevin talked about that, like love is the transformative agent in the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah yeah so that that isn't a cop out saying that he doesn't get anything done by loving you no, no, no he no, gets no, no, the no. most heavy lifting yeah. your phone's under your foot but, but it's, like,
1: <laughs> it's it's not like it's not like his goal is fix fix fix
0: yeah uh, his goal he is not fixed like, by but, loving yeah
1: i've got i've not it's not i've gotta do the curtain rod thing I've gotta do the like you know I've gotta hang the curtains I've gotta mow the lawn I've gotta finish the shed I started a year ago i've got to, I'm listing all the things I've gotta do
0: um <laughs>
1: It, it's just i'm with you you're you're a deeply loved child of your father yeah who who has no particular goal right now other than to be with you um and i think i i've read, read this yeah. beautiful quote from a, a guy called g campbell morgan who is is like someone i would describe as very unlike me so he seems like everything is so put together he's like that like that deeply fiery, passionate minister of the gospel guy from like a hundred years ago. Um, And and what I love about quotes is when you see something about the person behind the the thing. And and this is one of the things that he said. He said, "Uh, I have kept him waiting when I ought not, but he has waited even then, always waiting, so patient with my foolishness, my weakness, my fear. And, and it's one of those quotes again, like what I'm talking about earlier, I'm like, you don't feel like that G Campbell Morgan. That's a me thing. That's not a you thing. You're like never fearful, always saying what, you know, you should say super put together, never keep God waiting. Yeah. Constantly You're convening a with God. Yeah. Um, and yet, no, he's like, no, oh, that's who I am. Like constantly keeping him waiting. Um, yeah. Like, like that, that reminder that no, he feels the same way that I do about ministry at times.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and yet, like, it seems like this God is more patient than we are with him, more patient with us than we are with him or with ourselves, uh, more loving of us than we are towards him or towards ourselves. Yeah. Um. And, and, and his major excitement on Sundays or in small groups or however we gather is more akin to a parent who gathers their adult family around a table knowing all of the tensions between family members, knowing all of the struggles <laughs> in the life and it's just like I'm just so glad you're all here. Yeah,
0: um, that's cool. Well, uh, so yeah, if you're wondering like why don't we just do this all the time or uh, could we do some other element all the time? I like talking. Well, the answer, the answer is uh, if if you attend South and you it, we might be slightly infuriating to you because we don't only sing hymns no. and we don't only sing contemporary songs. No, we don't only preach topical and we don't only preach book studies. No. We're we're a little bit kind of a wild, wild West community and in that, and we're just trying to figure it a al- figure it out um, mm-hmm. uh, alongside you on your journey with Jesus. So uh, maybe we'll do it again. I, I suspect we will in some way, shape or form. I, um, maybe
1: we'll do it this week. No, we're not doing it this week.
0: This week's exciting. We're gonna do week, all combined.
1: Yeah, so it's gonna be hopping. All Come our early. Family together.
0: Come yep. get a seat. Well, I don't think we got questions. We might have gotten questions, but because Teresa's getting married today,
1: and you're doing the wedding. Uh,
0: yeah, because and we of that. Uh, if
1: you're part of the South, right?
0: if she, if you did send questions in, we will get them until you get back, because she didn't teach me how to access the phone number. No,
1: and uh, we both have to go and look, so we don't look like this.
0: Yes, someone I walked in today. They're like, "Are you wearing that to the wedding?" I am like, <laughs> "Huh? You really think that I am capable of showing up to Teresa's wedding in like jogger pants?" I am um, not. I am I'm not smart, but well, I'm not, I am not that I, dumb. Um,
1: I, I have my clothes all pretty much ready to go, but I am one of my constant challenges over here has been learning what American definitions of stuff mean. Like, so in England, like cocktail attire means something very specific. Yeah. Like cocktail is not formal, which is like, formal is black tie or white tie. Black tie is lower than white tie. White tie is the high and black tie. Then you move down to like cocktail. So depending it's on the dinner. But still pretty
0: close to, t- it's tuxedo most well, likely. it's
1: certainly suit. Like certainly jacket, tie, pants, dress yes. shoes. So that's cocktail. Like here, It seems like cocktail could mean I was on the golf course five minutes ago and I changed out of my golf shoes, but I'm still wearing the rest of my golf clothes.
0: Um, No, here, none of it means anything. It's like someone could show up in jeans and you're like, oh, okay," And then someone else shows up in a tuxedo and you're kind of like. Yes. Okay, fine. yes
1: yeah, so you guys both, you take cocktail, and you both do it dressier than cocktail is supposed to be, and way less dressier than cocktail is supposed to be, <laughs> and it's constantly confusing to me.
0: Yeah, this is what happens when you create a country of such a melting pot is no one knows what's going on. Do you know the rules? No, I'm not from here either. (laughs) None of us are from here. Who gets to decide what the rules are in America? Who (laughs)
1: knows? Well, there we go. Maybe the beautiful aspect of America is there are no rules.
0: Yeah, or there Um, are, but no one knows what they are.
1: (laughs) Well, we said it would be a shorter podcast today. Like we'll judge you for things, but
0: there's no rules. (laughs) yeah uh,
1: well our short podcast was 50 minutes
0: yeah we did good we cut shaved 10 minutes off of a, a week talking about a sermon where there was no sermon <laughs> <laughs> good job boss
1: <laughs> all right look at us go uh see you next week
0: uh yeah uh let's see i again i always ramble at the end because i have to find the stop button teresa was making fun of me that for that because yeah anyway bye, bye.